0: morning, Church. Shalom to all of you. Please have a seat and welcome to Church of Our Saviour. This is our Holy Communion weekend. And of course, uh, you know, it is a special time for the family to come together. So good to see all of you here. I know many parents are stressed this week because of PSLE, you know. Sometimes the parents are more stressed than the children. Nevertheless, it is a special, day, a special time for the Church because we are in the in-between time before the Day of Trumpets right or the feast of trumpets that began last uh, last sunday evening and this wednesday will be the day of atonement so in jewish tradition this is actually quite an important time This is known as the yamim noraim or the days of awe right the days of awe it is a time when jews will often you know fast sometimes they will repent and they reflect on their lives and the reason they do this is because You know, it leads up to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, the word Kippur in Yom Kippur simply means cover. You can hear it, right? Kaffar, Kippur, right? It sounds like it. So, the word Kaffar actually means cover, right? I, I looked up the etymology of the English word cover to see whether it's connected. Maybe it is because it goes back to Latin and all that. But it simply means the Day of Covering. So, why do Jews, you know, spend so much time fasting and, you know, searching for God, searching their own hearts during this period of 10 days? And that goes back to a Jewish tradition. And it's a very interesting tradition. They believe that at the end of this uh, 10-day period, prior to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, in heaven, there will be opened up books, three books in particular. First of all, there will be the Book of Life or the Book of the Living, right? And all those people who are righteous, their names will be written in the book of this life, book of living. And then there will be another book, a book that you don't want to be in, the book of the dead. So that one, all the wicked people, their names will be written in this book of the dead. And then for everyone else, there's a book called uh, Sefer uh, Benonim, which means literally the book in between, Right? I think a lot of people see, oh, yeah, maybe I'm there. <laughs> All right. The book in between, people who are kind of undecided. And so this time, they are working hard to figure out, I don't want to be in the book of the dead. Let me try and get myself in the book of life. And this sort of a, a tradition that they have, right? Trying to now, I just was wondering about this. I wonder which book do you think you're in? How many of you think that you're in the book of the dead? Okay, I'm glad nobody. Okay, so don't Wait too long for that. The book of In-Between. Anyone think that you kind of, all oh, very theological people know, Jesus Christ, the cross, are definitely in the book of life, right? So, for the Jews, obviously, they don't believe in Jesus, right? Some of them are still waiting for a Messiah. Now, this is clearly not something found in the Bible, right? We don't have this tradition attested to in Scripture itself. However, if you do look in the Bible more carefully, you do find a very old tradition concerning books. And I think we want to talk a little bit about this as a kind of preface to talking about the Day of Atonement. In the book of Exodus chapter 32, verse 32 and 33, what happened was the children of Israel had gone and built this golden calf and really angered the Lord. And the Lord was on the verge of destroying all these people, right? And Moses had gone and interceded with the Lord, praying on behalf of the children of Israel, and this was his prayer. He said, Yet now, if you will forgive, if you will forgive their sins. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, this is really the first time in the Bible that, this, what, wait a minute, what book is this, right? Is there a book? Well, evidently, there is some kind of accounting, some kind of recording, some kind of book. We don't know exactly what book this is at this point, but the Lord says, whoever has sinned, I will blot him out of the book. So you get kind of a, a good idea of what this book might be, right? This is the book of pass and fail. Right? This is the PSLE of heaven, if you like. A book where if you're out of this book, you don't make it. In the same way, that's not the only place when the psalmist writes and he prays against his enemies in Psalm 69 and verse 28, he says, let them, referring to his enemies, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So now you know the name of the book. It is the book of the living. Sefer HaKaim, right? The book of life or the book of the living. And According to the psalmist, this is the book which they believe will contain the name of the righteous people, right? In the New Testament, do we still have such a book? Well, it turns out that Paul talks about the book several times, actually. But in, uh, some, uh, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3, while writing to the church, he says in passing, he says this, "'I urge you also, true companion, help these women who laboured with me in the gospel,' with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life, right? So again, there is, wait, wait a minute, there is this book of life. How come I never heard about this for so many years of being a Christian, right? This is the first time I've sort of pointed out to me that there's this stream throughout the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, that talks about book, a book of life. Now, many of you are big fans of uh, predictions and the book of Revelations in particular. And in the book of Revelations, there are many mentions of such a book. One of these mentions is found in Revelations chapter, 12, uh, chapter 20 and verse 12, where we have the picture of that final day, the final day of judgment. And it says this, And I saw the dead, the small, and the great, you know, it's everybody, standing before God and books were opened, right? So it's plural. Not just one book, maybe too many names, right? But books were open, and then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Wow, I don't know if you ever thought about this. So, supposedly now, we have a set of books by which we will be judged, right? So, were you, you know, I guess Santa's naughty and nice list, right? Were you wicked? Were you righteous? Whatever it is that you did, there is an accounting. Now, this is something really worth remembering, right? So while the Jewish, the Talmudic tradition may not be biblically attested, there is definitely an idea within the Bible of reckoning, of accounting, of judgment and justice that will be associated with a last day, right? That day may or may not be right before Yom Kippur, but certainly there is a last day. And it is this tradition that reminds us to consider our life choices because sometimes we forget, right? I mean, we think, oh, I'm automatically in the book of life already. <laughs> yeah, I, I can do whatever I want. But this tradition exists, the fact that they exist, forces us to reflect on our choices, reflect on our actions, Reflects on the things that we do in life. Because there is an accounting and there will be a judgment. So, all these books, if you like, kind of talk about life, right? We, we have to do something in life. And this is why that during this 10-day period leading up to the Yom Kippur, many Jews actually greet each other with this uh, very interesting greeting, right? Kod venu hachaim means may our names or may we be written in the book of life, right? So, that's, that's a nice greeting, don't you think? May we be written... So, why don't you turn your neighbour and say, may you be written in the book of life. Right? We want this to be our destiny, to be found in the book of life. So, Yom Kippur has... You know, I guess it's a reminder. It throws back to that day. But first of all, these ten days talk about another day. It is the day of judgement. It's the day of judgement. Because... This God of the universe is a righteous God. Right and wrong needs to be ultimately accounted for. You cannot do wrong and get away with it. So if that restitution is not made in this life, it will then be made in the life to come. And we find a clue of that in the book of Daniel chapter 12 and uh, verse 1 to 3, it says this, at that time, referring to the final day of judgment, at that time, Michael shall stand up. Michael means the the archangel Michael. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of the people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Right? So again, you have a book here. Many and many of those who sleep in the dust shall awake. So, you know, if you don't account for it in this life, even in the afterlife, you will awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. You know, it's heaven. And those who turn many to righteousness be like stars forever and ever. Alright, so even in the next life, right? There will be an ultimate accounting of everything that is done, right and wrong, good and evil, all will be balanced out so that the eternal scales of justice will be balanced out, Righteousness must be accounted for. So here we find a book, there's something interesting mentioned here that not only will the righteous be found in the book of life and thus delivered, right? They will be uh, resurrected to everlasting life. But, those who lead others to righteousness, right? So not only are you righteous, but you are one of those people, according to this verse, who lead other people to righteousness. Guess what? You will shine like stars forever, right? So you don't have to make TikTok to become a star, right? You don't have to go uh, and become an actor to become a star. You lead other people to righteousness and you will become a star that shines forever in the kingdom of heaven. And that is why, uh, in James chapter 5, verse 20, we have this verse that says, you know, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins, right? So, those of you, don't just be righteous. Help other people find righteousness in Christ. Okay, so now you have this book's many, many, many times in the Bible, talking about the book. I haven't actually heard many sermons. In fact, I can't remember anyone actually talking about, pointing out that these books exist. There are other books, right? I mean, the book of Malachi, for instance, talk about other books in which all that we say are written down, right? A book of remembrance is written down. So all these things point to a day that is the day of judgment. There is a judgment day at the end, such as pointed out in the book of Revelations. But when we think of judgment, we think, wow, this is serious stuff, right? And we really wonder, which book are we in? Well, God has also appointed another day. Another day over against the day of judgment. Where the day of judgment is a day of accounting, there is a day, the Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, which is a day of covering. And we want to read about this today because I think there's some relevance for us, big relevance for us as Christians. There are many places in the Bible which talks about the Day of Atonement, several places in the Old Testament, but probably the most comprehensive one is found in Leviticus chapter 16. So that's what we'll be looking at today. In Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16, we find the context provided in which this day was uh, instituted. Back in Leviticus chapter 10, something happened, Right? Aaron was the high priest. His sons were helping him as the family of priests and they were serving the Lord. But then, something happened. They offered up profane fire, right? They used to go into the temple, but they did something they would, should not have done. As a result of that, fire came out from the Lord and consumed them. So these people, they were destroyed. So that was context, right? After that incident, something changed and that's where we are in Leviticus chapter 16. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Aaron was, I guess, the high priest, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil. Before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. I'm not exactly sure, you know, what the context was prior to this, but you can imagine, maybe before that, things were not so uh, stringent, right? Maybe it was slightly more relaxed and people just thought they can, oh, I'll just go in, you know, and as a result of that, they did something. But after that, God says, from now onwards, no more just coming into the holy place, right? Not you, not your sons, not Aaron, not your sons, You just can't come in just like that because you may die, right? I will appear and anyone who comes in the wrong way, he will die when he comes into the presence of God. So you have to stay out of the veil. There's this veil that now separates us. So prior to Nadab and Abihu, which are the sons of Aaron, things were a little bit different. But now that relationship of trust with God was compromised. It was broken. So no more, no more just coming in like this, okay? We know in life sometimes things like this happen and you know, you give someone some freedom and they take it for granted and things go wrong and say, okay, from now on, this is the way that you will do it. So from that point onwards, God instituted this day of atonement, right? The way, the way in which you shall approach God. And we find this in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29. It says, this shall be a statute forever, right? It's not just for two two years or 20 years, it is a statute forever to you. In the seven month, okay, this is not our Chinese seven month, right? But actually it is. Uh, because the Hebrew calendar is in fact a lunar calendar. It's based on the... So, you know, I guess it's uh, very closely linked. Sometimes it's off one or two months, but uh, for the most part, it's actually quite similar, right? But of course, now it's not the Chinese seven month. In the seven month, the month of Tishrei, On the 10th day of the month, right? This year, it is this coming Wednesday. You shall afflict your souls. Everyone say afflict your souls. Afflict your souls. And do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. Alright, so you don't even really have to be one of the children of Israel, but you're in the country. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins. Not just some of them. All your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. Just these few verses say so much already. So the, the main step, the first step to keeping this Day of Atonement according to the Lord is that you need to afflict your souls. What? does that even mean? How, how do you go about afflicting your souls? Now, to afflict your soul here really means to humble yourself, to acknowledge our sin before God. Not just in an intellectual, cognitive way. Oh yeah, yeah, everybody is sinful, You know? nobody is perfect. This is acknowledge. But to actually repent, to turn away, to feel sorry for your sin and to turn back to God. For the Jews, this is sometimes expressed in fasting and I guess mourning, you know, ashes and sackcloth kind of thing. But the main thing is this attitude of humility and solemnity, a recognition, a true, authentic recognition to know that, you know, this this thing really hurt God. And I am pain. I feel the pain of this broken relationship with God. And it makes me want to restore that relationship. I don't know if you've ever had the occasion where your relationship with a very good friend or someone very close was broken, was impaired in some way, perhaps due to a misunderstanding, right? And you, every time you think about that lost friend, your heart hurts and you're, you, want, you long to want to repair that relationship and you feel this way. Many of us don't feel this way about our sin and God. To be very honest, we tend to approach God with a rather cold, uh, intellectual uh, attitude, right? Okay, I did this and I'm supposed to say that. I did my prayer. I, my, book is, my name is in the book of life. Okay, that's, that's all that matters. Now I can get on with life, right? There's no actual longing for a relationship with God. There's no deep feeling of, wow, I did something that really destroyed this relationship. So we don't feel that. That's why we, we actually don't have this affliction of our souls. Now this... Affliction of soul, one could argue, is the primary feature of the Day of Atonement. Although, there are many other things that we'll we'll come to, but this is the main one. Because in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 26, where it summarises for you the Day of Atonement, where it summarises it, it actually mentions this affliction of soul three times. Not one time, three times it mentions it. And it hardly mentions the sacrifices and the subsequent rituals, right? So in other words, This guy didn't have a lot of space. He needed to summarise the key idea behind the Yom Kippur and he chose to mention the affliction of soul three times. So I think an argument could be made that the most important thing about this Day of Atonement, about keeping this Day of Atonement is the affliction of our souls. So you and I are called to afflict our souls. Hmm. When was the last time we afflicted our souls? Just think about it, right? How do you feel about... Your relationship with God. Is it something that you take for granted or is it something that is perhaps impaired or broken? This pain that you must feel for your soul is very important, right? It's not simply a fear of death, or oh, I must afflict my soul because I'm afraid of going to hell, for instance. But it is a fear of a broken relationship with God. That you love God, and because you cannot be with God, because now there's this veil. Now you want to get through that veil. And it hurts you that you cannot get through the veil. It's so important that in Leviticus chapter 23, it actually says, For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. Wow. Just think about this. It's so important that if you do not afflict your souls, you are excluded from the covenant of God. So if one repents, if one afflicts your soul, one decides that you are God, I really want to, I want to repair this relationship with you. I desire this relationship with you. I want to be right with you. Then God prescribes a method. He prescribes a series of things that needs to be done in order for this sin to be dealt with. You read on in the uh, verses in uh, chapter 16, the high priest, first of all, before he begins this procedure, he must offer up a bull as a burnt Offering as a sin offering, right? So sin offerings are burnt on the altar of uh, burnt offering in order to atone for his own sin and his own family's sin. So before he can come and do anything for the children of Israel, he has to drag a bull up there and he has to offer that up to cover for his own sin, right? So, you know, before I do Holy Communion, uh, I have to clean my hands first. Uh, before I ask you all to, you know, come and uh, have the Holy Communion. Same thing. So he has to clean himself first. He has to cleanse himself. He has to prepare himself. First of all, and then he picks two goats, right? Two goats. And they will cast lots for these goats. The lot will fall on one goat. That goat is going to put aside, okay? Put one side, we remember this goat, all right? This goat has a special name. This other goat where the lot did not fall upon, this goat will be slaughtered. By the way, the blood of the goats and the blood of the bull will be sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant, Right, The Ark of the Covenant is a, basically a box. It's an acacia box, but it's layered with gold. And it has a cover. That cover has a name. That cover is known as the mercy seat in English because God appears on that mercy seat. But in Hebrew, the name of this cover is the kaparot, right? You know, it is the same word from which you get your kippo. It is the cover. So the blood is sprinkled on this cover to indicate that, you know, this procedure is done, right? This covenantal agreement is done. So, this second goat is slaughtered, the blood is sprinkled seven times on the mercy seat, and it is offered up as a sin offering on behalf of all the people of Israel. So now you've got two animals. One animal, the bull, for Aaron and his uh, family, right? And then you have a goat, which is for all of Israel. I know some of you might think, wow. That's not very much, right? (laughs) One boo for one person and one goat for the rest of everyone else, right? Okay, so after doing this, and by the way, before he goes in to do this, he can't just go in. He must wash himself. He must have a ritual bath, right? A ritual purity. And then he puts on special linen clothing in order to approach God. Everything is very careful, reminding us that God is very holy. You can't just saunter into God's presence. This is a God that you fear, right? So you don't just go in anyhow. So you're very careful. You do all these things according to God's prescription. Alright, so now they are in here. After that, he comes out. He comes out and that's where this other goat. This other goat has a name. His name, we call it the scapegoat, right? In your English translation, you call it the scapegoat. So Aaron, in Leviticus chapter 16, he lays both his hands on the head of this scapegoat, this live goat, he confesses on it. The word confess means to stretch out, right? His hands stretch out on it. All the iniquities, in other words, all the sin of the children of Israel and their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man, which is another priest who's, you know, who has, then has to clean himself. This goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an inhabited land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. So, what they are doing is they are, I guess you could say, they are transferring the sins of all the Israelites, all the people, right? All their sins, laid on this head of this goat. This goat is very powerful, right? So, they send this goat out. Someone, traditionally, someone goes out and follows the goat, make sure the goat fall over a cliff somewhere, right? Because you don't really want the sin to wander back in your camp, right? Sometimes you send it out, then tomorrow morning, hey, this goat come back, or your luck, right? So, so someone has to make sure that the goat falls over a cliff and never comes back, right? So, now, you think, oh, I want to think about this for a while, right? There's several very interesting questions that come up here. First of all, there's this act of confession. The act of confession, right? Confession, sometimes to us, is just words that you say. But, Ritually speaking, in the Bible, confessions is an act of transference. When you confess your sins, you transfer from at least yourself to this goat, this sacrifice that will carry your sins on your behalf to faraway place, all right to uh, uh, to the wilderness. Which is a good thing for Christians to confess. You know, we are not in the habit of confessing our sins. We like to keep your sins inside. I suggest to you find a goat, right? So you confess your sins onto the goat, and goat carries away. Secondly, you think about this for a second and you realise that why is it that... Uh, okay, I'll come to that. Okay, that's, that's kind of interesting. But why is it that a goat, an animal, has so much power that it can carry away sin? I want to think about this for a second. How can it be possible that the sin of the entire nation and possibly the sin of the entire world can be laid upon a goat? Is this goat really so effective or a bull? Or in some cases, you cannot afford one or the other. It is a turtle dove. Are animals really so powerful? And in fact, it is not. Okay, I want to explain to you how these sacrifices work. And the way I will do it is by telling you a story about, you know, uh, years ago, I was in Clemente. I was driving into the car park. Right? It was raining, there were many people crossing. So, you know, it was a on and off, start and stop. The, the entrance to the Clementi Mall is always a lot of buses and all that. But while we were waiting, somebody behind me uh, back-ended my car, right? Just drove into the, the back of the car. And so, oh yeah, very troublesome. We all got out from the car, right? And saw that it was a, a driver, one of these delivery drivers, and kind of banged the back of the car. I was looking at it and I was like, oh, wow, well, this is going to cause a lot of you know, inconvenience. But then you probably have to pay money for getting rid of the den, fixing the den and repainting the back of the car. And then I look at the guy, he looks like a poor thing. He's like, I'm so sorry, uh, new drivers are more, trying to get his job done. And he said, I got no money. Uh. How much do you think this costs? Can I just pay you? Because, you know, once you claim to your insurance, your NCD and everything else is affected, it's actually cost you a lot more, right? So I was looking at him and I said, this is probably quite a bit of money, okay? So, so let's hypothetically say it's $1,000. It's probably not, but let's just say it's $1,000 worth of damage. And I'm looking at him and I said, I don't think you can pay that. I said, hey, sorry boss, I only have $50. Uh. $50 is not going to repair this, okay? But out of pity, I said, okay, okay, you just give me $50 and we'll call it even. Okay, you get this? You just give me $50 is $50 enough? No, it's not enough. It can't do the job. But I will take it as a symbol. I'll take this $50 as a symbol and we'll call it even. So he pulls out. Thank you, thank you. i try to get out of the way and disappear as soon as he can, right? While there is grace. So I want you to think about this picture for a while. Because a lot of people don't understand how sacrifices work. Can a goat really atone for our sins? Obviously not. But God in His mercy and His pity on us says, I know there's no way you can pay for this. The only way you can pay for this is you die. Your own blood, right? An eye for an eye. Your own blood is what you take. But you know, I pity you. So you know what? You just bring a goat and we'll call it even. Now let me ask you, after I say, give me $50 and call it even, the damage doesn't suddenly get cheaper. I still had to pay for the rest of the $950 required to, you know, to resolve this problem. You agree, right? So the problem is that somebody has to pay. In that case, I will have to pay because I accepted $50. Secondly, I want you to think about, after I accept the $50, right, and I say, we'll call it even, does he owe me anything else? No more. Because I said, I will accept this, and I'll call it even, right? By the way, calling it even in Hebrew has a word, it's shalem. Or, if you like, rooted in the word shalom. When Jesus says, it is finished on the cross, he's saying, we'll call it even. Wow. I mean, this is mind blowing. This is an act of mercy, an act of amazing grace. That you know, some of us complain, oh, yeah, why must I sacrifice this, sacrifice that? Guys, you have no idea. This is your $50 a thousand dollar damage, right? You better accept it while you can. But people complain, oh, you're so expensive with this goat. If only you knew what was going on. And sometimes as Christians, we don't know, right? So hopefully, in understanding this, this goat that's being sacrificed is only a token. It is a small thing within your reach. Something you can do to pay for something that you cannot afford, that you cannot do in your own strength. So God... Looking at us who have no way out of this, he makes a way. He creates a way for us to get out of this at his own expense. He will then have to repair the damage himself. Another thing I want you to think about this this is really a very thought provoking sort of uh, uh, ritual, right? This day of atonement. Prior to this goat being released into the wilderness, they had already offered up a bull to atone for Aaron and his family's sin, and a goat for the sins of Israel. So why is it necessary to have yet another scapegoat to carry away? I kind of thought that was dealt with with that goat, right? So now we have a second goat. You see, the sin offering can be done anytime. You read different parts of Exodus, you find that this is something that they do almost every day. Right? Whenever you have a sin, you come to the uh, priest and you say, you know, I've got this problem, I want to you know, deal with my sin, and here's a sin offering. Right? And it's something that you do every day. So, what is so special about this? Well, on this day, there is a scapegoat, this second good. And the way I kind of understand this, right, is for a sin offering, for the regular sin offering, normally it accounts for what you call the sins of ignorance and sins of omission. Sins of ignorance and sins of omission. So, what is a sin of ignorance? Now, recently, you read in the newspaper about this woman ah, who went to Thailand and thought she was eating kangkong, right? And but it turns out that it was marijuana, marijuana, right? She didn't know it. She said, I look at it, it looks like kangkong. Now, how true, I don't know. Lah, ah. But these things sometimes happen in life. You did not intend to do it, but out of ignorance or you know, not unwittingly, you commit a sin. And it's still, it is still a sin but it was not done uh, willfully, right? So that's a sin of ignorance. But then sometimes you have sins of omission. You're supposed to do it now, but you didn't do it, right? For whatever reasons, you failed to do it. Okay, this one you didn't do. These are covered by this, uh, this sin offering. But willful sins is a bit different. Willful sins means you know it is wrong, the sin of commission. You know you're not supposed to. This is something God says no. And yet, in your willfulness, in your flesh, in your human weaknesses, you end up doing it. Right? You do this. This is a whole different category of wrong altogether. Right? Because you know, you, you, those of you who have children, sometimes your children come and say, oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't know. Alright, if you didn't know, that's one thing. But I told you not to do it and you purposely went and do it, man, your ch- children uh, will get a whole different level of discipline for that. Right? So for this kind of sins, what are you going to do about it? Well, Once a year, on this Day of Atonement, all sins are covered for, including willful sins. So I I want you to think about this. This is, this is also very mind blowing. God, who is so strict, is willing to overlook this. Wow! I think a a good way of, uh, of actually capturing this is found in Psalms one zero three, right? Psalms one zero three. And I'll read to you a couple of verses because it's a very beautiful psalm that describes this whole idea. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us or struggle with us, right? Nor will He keep His anger forever. Get this. He has not dealt with us according to our sin, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Just to pause there for a second, just think about the import of that. This is a holy God. We keep singing holy, holy, holy. People walk in the presence of God, they get killed because they are unholy and He's a holy God. You cannot stand in the presence of a holy God, right? And yet, this God that's full of justice and holiness says He will not deal with us according to our iniquity. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. You know that scapegoat? He has removed it from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows. You know, He made us. He knows that we are weak. He knows that every one of us have our own predilections. That from time to time, We fail. We fail God, we fail ourselves even. Not to mention failing other people around us. And God says, I know that. And that's why I will make a way for you. Because I know you can't do it yourself. But the mercy of the Lord, this is going down a little bit, a few verses down, is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. To such as keep His covenant and to those who remember His commandments to do them. You know, some of us here are quite OCD about cleanliness, right? I, I don't know you have this problem. You know, sometimes you're you're very picky about cleaning your house. You vacuum your house, you know, you mop your house. You make sure all the dust are uh, addressed and, on the corners and all that. And then you have people visiting your house, right? Your friends come. You have they come. Sometimes they their feet not so clean. They step all over the house. You know, while they're talking and fellowship, you're thinking, "Aiyah, you're dirty. That dirty. You're taking notes no, here, mark here, mark there." The moment they leave the house, close the door. I could, 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 lock everything. Take a mop clean, 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 right? Because you're so particular about cleanliness. God is a little bit OCD about holiness. Lah, huh? So, you know, all this, but God says, you know what? He's not going to, He's, he's going to clean it, right? He's not going to deal with us according to our iniquities. I don't know about you, man, when I hear that, I'm so relieved. I am so relieved that God doesn't deal with me according to my iniquities it's hard enough to think about that coming from a God who is so holy and just that He chooses not to hold that against. Wow, I don't know what to say, right? I really don't know what to say. Basically, He's saying, if you truly repent, right? you afflict your souls. Yes, you may have committed even sins of commission, but you come to a point where you say, God, I'm sorry about this. I, I, I do not want this broken relationship with you. And so you confess your sins and you offer up your sins on this good, right? In this case, our good is obviously Christ. And God says, I will call it even and you don't owe me anymore. Wow. Don't know about you, but this is like just mind-blowing for me, right? He pays for the damage Himself through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross of Calvary. He covers for us. You pay very little. He asks very little of us. Does He ask something of you? Yes. He asks you to obey His command, to follow His procedure. But what He's asking for you is a pittance compared to what you're getting in return. So where the day of judgment reflects God's ultimate righteousness, the day of atonement reflects God's mercy and loving kindness, His pity upon us. It is a day of restoration, of relationship with the Almighty, right? A day of amazing grace. Not dealing with us according to sin. It is something that only someone who recognizes their own sinfulness can truly appreciate. Because if you are not someone who afflicts your soul, you will not appreciate this. And actually, you cannot receive this, right? So you need to repent. You need to recognize, acknowledge our own brokenness before you can appreciate the offer that God gives. And that, in a nutshell, is the day of atonement. It's a day of, I don't know, how many of you feel this is something relevant to us as Christians? I think it's very relevant because the principle continues on, right? Now, when it comes to the New Testament, however, Jesus actually adds one more criteria, right? So these are all God's criteria. First of all, you must afflict your souls, right? And then, obviously, you have to confess your sins and then you need this um, scapegoat, someone who is able and willing to carry your sins away. We have all this, right? We have all this in Christ. But Jesus actually gives us one more criteria. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 to 24, He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, now listen, this gift to the altar is basically a sacrifice, right? You don't normally bring, oh, I just bring God some chocolate, lah, some Royce, you know, people like to give Royce or, or what's that round chocolate they always give, I keep getting loads of this. The round chocolate. Yeah, for roche. Okay, that kind of gift. All right? Not that kind of gift. When he says a gift to altar, it specifically means a sacrifice. Alright? So when you bring your sacrifice to the altar, and there at the altar, where you're about to receive from God this grace, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Right? Leave your sacrifice there. Go away. Don't do this. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then... Come and offer your gift. So Jesus now adds one more criteria to this whole, I guess, procedure, right? One more requirement. He says that you're about to receive God's grace of forgiveness. God is going to forgive you 300 denarii, right? But before you receive this, you go and forgive your brother of the five denarii or three denarii or one denarii or whatever it is. And then you come and get this ordered out. And this is Jesus' requirement. You can get it for free, provided you are willing to do the same for other people, right? So the affliction of your soul is not just recognising that, oh, I made a mistake. It's recognising that, you know what? I'm a human being. Humans make mistakes. And I'm not the only human being around. Other people also make mistakes. If I expect God to forgive me for my mistakes, then surely... I should be willing to extend the same thing to other people and to restore relationships that way. So Jesus says, You want God to forgive you, you forgive other people first. And that's actually what you find in the verse proceeding from the Lord's Prayer. Right? We don't actually read out that line, but after the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, there's this verse in uh, verse 14, it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, this Jesus saying it, right? your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Right? This is conditional. You forgive, and God will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So this is one more condition before this whole atonement, this whole covering of sin will actually work for you. So Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, properly understood is this amazing offer. It comes with a few criteria. And you can complain, alright? You can give up. You say, no, that's too much for me. Okay, la, then you go and pay for it all yourself, right? Come up with a $1,000 yourself. It is a way that God makes for us who have no other way. The Heavenly Father who loves us so much, even though He's righteous and holy, He chooses not to hold us account for that sin, choosing instead to pay for it Himself. Today, if this is your desire, right? Some of you here, maybe you're not a Christian. You know, you you couldn't quite understand why you needed to become a Christian. And perhaps this will help you understand what is going on when we come and we say we receive Christ. You're really receiving this scapegoat who is willing to carry away your sin, to make a way so that you and God, even now you can build a relationship together in that place without any veil in between. So if you're not a Christian, but you're saying, maybe this is for me, and perhaps it is for you, right? Or if you are a Christian, you're a Christian and you're struggling with sin. You know Christians we struggle with sin? And you've been defeated over and over and over again, right? You've been fighting over the sin for years and years, and sometimes you wonder if you ever overcome this sin, and you wonder if, if God will ever accept us because of our you know, failures, moral failures. And not, it's not just failures of omission or failures of ignorance. Sometimes you know you did it wrong because you chose to do wrong. And in that case, you wonder, is there even a place for me? That is why this day is important to you, right? Because if you are afflicting your souls, you are willing to repent, turn away from your sin, confess your sin, God says, all right, I will give you this thing and we'll call it even if you will go through with it. If you fear the Lord, you're willing to keep and abide by this covenant, we'll call it even. So if that's you, then this day is also for you. So I want to ask you to close your eyes right now. You know, if you are that first group of person, you're not a Christian, but you say, you know, I want this. I'm grateful that God makes a way for people like me who may not have the ability to be as holy as I imagine Christians to be. You're not a Christian, but today you're saying, I do accept Jesus. If that's you, no one looking around, just put out your hands real quick and put it down. I would like to pray for you. Is there anyone here like this, right? If you are there, just put out real quick and down again, and I'll pray for you. Is there anyone? Alright, if you are a Christian, and you're struggling with sin, right? Whatever it is in your own life you know, And you have been defeated time and time again. And today, you realize that God makes a provision for our failings. It's amazing grace. And if that's you, and say, Pastor, will you pray for me too? You know, I'm afflicting my souls. I'm afflicted in my souls. Would you put your hands up and down real quick? I'd like to pray for you. Yeah, I see those hands. You can put it down. You don't have to hold it up. Anyone else struggling with sin? You wonder whether God rejects you or accepts you? Yeah, I can put that sand down. Yeah, Lord, we come before you in humility and in gratitude. Afflicting our souls. Because we feel the pain of our brokenness and the pain of our broken relationship with you. Lord, we thank you. The words of the psalmist that you do not deal with us according to our iniquities, according to our sins. What a joyful day that is when you look upon us with grace instead. So, Father, for all of us here who come to you and we look to Jesus, hearts are filled with gratitude all over again because now we remember that we were in the book of the dead, but you blotted out our names from the book of the dead with the blood of your very own Son, Jesus Christ. And you write, With your own finger our name in the book of life father we pray also that even as we receive this grace from you you bring to mind those people who should be receiving the same grace from us as well the broken relationships we have people with people around us lord would you help us to take steps not just to repair it but to extend a grace that is over and above what is required of us, just like how you extended your grace to us. And help us to come into Shalem, to be able to say, it is finished. We'll call it even and not hold it against people anymore. So Father, we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for this. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen, Amen. Amen.